You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. Hello, it's so good to be back with you all again today. Um, I'm Carrie Fisher, um, and I'll, I'll get right into it. I hope you paid attention to those passages because I'm going to refer to them a lot and I'm not going to reread them a lot of times like I sometimes do. So the texts today are about prayer, praying and pleading, pleading and pestering, pestering and proving. It feels hacky at this point for the person at the pulpit to say, you know, believe it or not, prayer is actually kind of hard for me because I think prayer is hard for everybody at least at some point in time. It's not a fresh or particularly brave perspective, but it does happen to be true for me. And just so we're all on the same page, I don't mean it's hard for me to make time to do the praying I desperately want to do. And I don't mean I am too lazy to say the words or draw the picture or open the app or get in position. I don't mean I get bored or drift off in the middle, though all of these things have been true of me too at some points. But I mean today, um, what I mean today is that I at times have a rageful disdain for the practice and even the principle. More precisely, what I mean is that I am at a point in my life and learning wherein I refuse to make prayer make sense in all the nonsensical ways that people and places have asked me to. I hope you'll forgive and indulge me if you find you're farther down the path that I am today. You know, when, let me start over. I did that intonation wrong. You know, when people try to sell you on some (laughs) new tech thing, like a printer, Isn't that the funniest thing to call a new tech thing? Um, But for real, printer pushers, they're, they're like, your life is about to be so much easier. You're about to find yourself in the land of plenty where you are never without the ability to get a hard copy of anything, even your sermon on the morning, day of. And you try to tell them, I've bought printers before and maybe it's user error but I always run out of ink just when I need it the most. And then they're like, yeah, but this printer that I'm telling you about, they send you the ink every month and you don't even have to do anything. And then I'm like, okay, but also I always lose or break the cords. And then I just have this big bulky printer sitting on my desk. And they're like, well, in that it's not 1996, you don't need to hook your computer up with a cord. It's all wireless, ma'am. And it's back and forth and back and forth. And the truth is, I want to believe in the power of the printer. So I give it a try. I get the printer and for somewhere between three days and a couple of months, the promise seems real. The ink is crisp and clear. I am wasting paper, devil may care. (laughs) I'm telling other people to get this magical online cartridge-ready miracle. And then eventually, it just stops working. I was supposed to update it, or my internet stops working in that room, or children have tried to copy a grilled cheese sandwich on it, or the tasks I require of it just become too great 
for such a limited machine. And it's fine. I'm willing to believe that some people are out there with the knowledge and the resources that make it seem like everyone's printers work every time, that they're infallible, above reproach. I'm not even mad at these people for their knowledge and resources and experiences, but I am mad at the implication that if I were a better, richer, more studious printer wielder, all my dreams would come true. Because the truth is, printers or fill-in-the-blank cooler tech thing are often being sold like they are set it and forget it, and then no further effort. And I think something similar happens with the marketing of prayer. Although it's, of course, even more insidious than that because of the even deeper implications of morality and immorality, worthiness and unworthiness, clean and unclean. I believe that prayer has been perhaps the most weaponized sacred practice that exists. People are told that if they are pure of heart, ask, seek, knock, they will get answers and arrivals and divine intervention that's, quote, right on time. But the thing is, I don't know how we can believe that so long as parents lose their children, children lose their innocence, innocents lose their lives. Like some of you, I spent a lot of years assuming that if prayer wasn't working for me, it was probably a lack of purity or persistence on my part, or maybe it was a plan or provision far outside my mere mortal understanding. This is, in fact, what you have to tell yourself when your church and your pastor and every other spiritual guide seem to agree that prayer is predictable, pleasant, and perfect. But I don't think that prayer is necessarily any of those things. And I promise I won't just bring us down in this sermon, but if you would be willing to descend with me a bit, I'll try to make sure we all make it back up together as well, okay? So first, prayer isn't predictable. I barely need to tell you this, right? I was raised in an era when quiet times were extremely lauded and important and worshiped and often pretty performative too. Everyone I knew who identified as Christian had some routine of daily Bible reading and prayer or some guilt for not having that practice. And I want to say that I know that some of us still take great comfort in this ritual, which I think is great. But in some settings, the specifications for these quiet times were extremely exacting. I knew some people who said your daily prayer time has to be in the morning because that's what the Bible says. Early in the morning will I seek you. And also, I heard people say, if you don't start your day with God, you can just watch that day crumble right before your eyes. And even though I'm more of a morning person than a night person, I was practical enough even then to understand that it's silly, if not cruel, to ask some people to wake up an hour earlier than they otherwise would need to if they're actually most open and engaged and alive in the evening times. And even though I can see where starting the day spiritually engaged has its merits, the truth is that the way I was doing it back then did not result in some kind of super heroism on the day that I was faithful, nor destructions and devolutions on the days that I missed. Even now, there are times when something really undeniably sacred happens to or for me, and it is a grace that I did not beckon. And there are times when every breath has been a beg for God to come through, and those prayers seem to have gotten lost in transit. 
So I won't find a way to tell you that a life of prayer is a path to certainty or safety because prayer is not predictable. And prayer is also not pleasant, <laughs> at least not always. It is stillness, it is vulnerability, like Jesus modeled when the disciples asked, and it is also shouting and fighting. That's what I think we do see in these texts today. We see availability and agony and advocacy. These people are hoarse from bargaining, bruised from beating down doors. They are not just pious and placid, they are desperate and incensed. And some or all of those states of being are not preferred by some or all of us. So no, prayer is not always pleasant. And maybe most importantly to me, prayer isn't perfect. If you've heard me talk about anything at all in the last few years, you've probably, probably heard me talk about the need for us all to relinquish our obsessions with one right way and perfunctory perfectionism in our lives. When we insist that it was prayer that kept some of our loved ones healthy during the pandemic while others were lost, or that God found time somehow for my job promotion, but not to stop the wildfires, that isn't perfect, is it? It is perverse. I think it is actually this perfection perversion that has many of us abandoning prayer when we realize that it isn't magic. Because based on what we've been led to believe, it makes sense to ask, if prayer doesn't get me what I'm asking for, then what is the point? And that's what I ask myself too about these passages today. What are these somewhat strange stories meant to tell us about conversing with God? Maybe if you are like me, you need to consider for the first time or be reminded of some more nuanced, grounded, and still beautiful pitches for prayer. Here are a few that come to mind for me. I think prayer is holding. It's holding hope, and it's holding one another. I used to go to a church where we were reminded regularly that when we say our corporate prayers, some of us on any given Sunday can say the words and mean them, and others of us can't. And that's why... It's so hallowed to share the offering of our sentiments, intentions, gratitude, and penance, because in doing it together, we come closer to covering it all. Today in our call to worship, we claimed to know that God listens, and we claim to desire to bring welfare to all. And some of us believe and want those things more readily today, so we are borrowing the faith of our siblings Thank you for those of you who hold hope for me in declarations that come easy for you today. And all are welcome to borrow any faith that I have more access to at the moment as you have need. What a powerful intimacy, what a picture of community we find in this view of prayer. But prayer isn't just a thing that we who are privileged enough to sit safely for Sunday morning musings do. I'd suggest today that in addition to prayer as holding, prayer is active. There's an African proverb that a friend taught me in grad school. I've always really liked it. And he used to say to me, pray with feet in motion, Carrie, pray with feet in motion. I think sometimes it gets translated, pray with hands in motion. It makes me think that I think sometimes the church has misunderstood omnipotence. We believe that God is all powerful, 
But the God that we worship is the God who brought divinity into human form. In Jesus, yes, but what if God's plan to answer prayer continues to be through frail human bodies? I am offended by and reject any notion that allows prayer to be synonymous with navel-gazing. That same friend, he was agnostic, and he once asked me, Carrie, what do you do with the arthritic hand of God? Meaning that God so frequently seems slow-moving in the face of calamity. And I said, perhaps a bit self-righteously, that it is God's people who are slow to get to work in times of crisis. If God has a plan, then the plan, at least some of the time, is for those of us who so boldly claim to know and harbor the Spirit of God to love our neighbors as ourselves, with ourselves, our brains, our bodies, our behaviors. I also think that prayer is transport. I lived overseas for the years between my undergrad and graduate school, And as someone who had never lived more than two hours from home before, it was stunning how necessary intercession became all of a sudden. Not because I was doing the Lord's work any more or differently, but because I was too far to offer help to my most beloved people in any other way. So prayer allows us to have someone in our heart when it is physically impossible to have them in our arms. And I think all these positive things about prayer are important to remember because In the words of our beloved pastor, Jameson McGregor, remember him? (laughs) Prayer of some variety is unavoidable. He wrote this in a newsletter to us a few years back. I spent years of my life spinning my wheels, trying to theologically map out the mechanics of free will and prayer and divine providence, attempting to convince myself of whether or not prayer makes a difference in the world or to God, But at some point, I noticed that the twists and turns of that line of inquiry had little to no effect on my desire to pray. On an existential level, there were things that I wanted to speak out loud, to shout into the universe, things that made me happy or angry, things that I wanted to happen or change. And insofar as I pushed down the impulse to express these things, the low-key preoccupation that I had with these desires more or less amounted to prayers, whether I wanted to speak them or not. And this really resonates with me. I think about it often. It's true, isn't it, that we all feel a compulsion to lift our hands heavenward when we are so moved, whether by a feat of human strength or talent. We are likely to lay hands on people to shorten the distance between their bodies and ours when they have faltered or fallen or given birth or something else miraculous. We're inclined to lie down on the grass and sit by the ocean to climb trees and yes, to scream for help when we see or hear or feel danger coming on. So I wonder what if these passages are less about what God will do for us if we are annoying enough and more about permission to succumb to our human need to cry out, to stand up for injustice, to do everything we can to protect people in our care. Maybe we need prayer not because God demands it of us, but because we have a demand for a place to plead, to pester, to prove, and to persist 
despite all that is ugly and evil and lacking and treacherous in this life. As we finish up today, I want to read parts of the Luke passage to you from the First People's Translation of the New Testament. This is a text that is meant to honor indigenous experiences of engaging scripture, but it's also allowable for those of us who are non-indigenous and encouraged to learn from it as well. I think it always helps us to hear familiar passages in fresh ways to revitalize our understanding of something that might otherwise have become dull. And since this translation is only a few years old, I think that should help us in that way. So a reading from Luke. O great spirit from above, your name is sacred and holy. Bring your good road to us where the beauty of your ways in the spirit world above is reflected on the earth below. Provide for us day by day, the elk, the buffalo, and the salmon, the corn, the squash, and the wild rice, all the good things we need for each day. Release us from the things we have done wrong in the same way we release others from the things done wrong to us and guide us away from the things that tempt us to, to stray from your good road. And then after the parable, it reads, so keep dancing your prayers and the way will be open before you. Search for the ancient pathways and you will find them. Keep sending up your prayers and they will be heard. How much more will the creator who is your father from the spirit world above give the Holy Spirit to all who ask? Such beautiful renderings release us dance and send prayers and they will be heard. It occurs to me that when Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, the ultimate divine response is not that we will be given any and everything we want, but rather that as we dance, we will receive the spirit, which is to say animation, wisdom, power, comfort, love. Maybe there are no guarantees with prayer, but isn't it true that it feels good, clarifying, empowering, enlivening to get quiet and to get loud when life calls for such vulnerabilities? I think we are the best prayers when we are children, unembarrassed of our need to get away and have our own space, unashamed to beg or borrow or beat on a door if we have need. So I guess today my hopes for us are just that we keep coming together each week and saying things we at least hope to mean. That we will keep traveling to one another across time and space, even if we don't precisely understand what it is we are doing. I hope we will hear in these texts a call to be bold and to keep going in word and deed, even when we feel impolite, indulgent, or exposed. Finally, I hope we expand our understanding of what it means to be prayerful until we know that in fact our whole lives are prayers, imperfect, improvisational, important. May we be unashamed of this humbling, unshackling truth. And now in this moment, will you pray with me? God, we thank you for our quiet and for our loud for each breath and each beat, for our impulses to ask and to advocate for our despair at death and destruction. 
Make us praying people with every part of our bodies and every act of our lives. Fill us with goodness and mercy and justice and grace so that we can offer each to one another and to the world. Amen.